continuing our series. We started last week on integrity. And here's what we talked about last week is this integrity idea is um, what we, the kind of the definition we came up with was doing the right thing even if no one's watching and even if it costs you something. This is what integrity is. Doing the right thing even if no one's watching and even if it costs you something. And what we're doing in this series is we're finding different stories in the Bible of people who lived with integrity, who had that decision to put their integrity first or to give in to some temptation or some other other decision that was in front of them. And then some of the stories, and one we're looking at today, is someone who did not do that, who did not live with integrity, who forfeited something long-term blessing from God over a decision in the moment. But here's what we've been doing, is just talking about this idea of integrity, doing the right thing no matter what no matter what the cost or the audience. And there's a verse that we've been looking at um, that kind of summarizes the series. This is going to be our theme verse for the series over the next few weeks. It's Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, and it says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity is a, a good scrabble word. It's a big word. Duplicity just means double-minded, wavering, wishy-washy, if you've known someone who you never really know what you're going to get, are they going to be honest with you? Are they going to lie to you? You're never really sure what kind of person you're going to get. That's a duplicitous person. That's an even bigger word. That's a person who is not a person guided by integrity but is more double-minded, being thrown around by whatever temptation comes their way. But we want to talk about integrity, doing the right thing. Now, as I was uh, studying this week, as I was prepping, I had this thought like, this idea of, you know what, I'm going to decide to do the right thing, to have integrity no matter what, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Why don't we do this? We should just do this. Let's just decide to do this. Done. The train agrees. Done, and now we can go home with our day. But here's the problem. Even though it's a no-brainer, it is a no-brainer. And what I mean by that is we as people are more than just brain right? We are more than brain. If it was just up to our thought process, we would say, sure, this feels like a good idea. I'm going to decide to have integrity. But then more than our brain, we have what? We have feelings. We have emotions. We have temptations. We have appetites. Appetites is a word that I would use to describe any appetites are like any part of our flesh, our, you know, feelings, emotions, anything that we're like, oh, I know I think I should do this, but here's what I want. Those would be appetites, right? And appetites, anything with our flesh, and our flesh is what tends to fight against our integrity. A well-known pastor, Andy Stanley, pastors in the Atlanta area, he's, he taught on integrity. And one of the things he said that I was listening to and I wrote it down, which is so good, our appetites pose a constant threat to our integrity. Our appetites are always the things that are pushing against our integrity, posing a constant threat. Now, our appetites are not just food, although it's a good example. And one example I thought this week is one thing that I didn't think of when we bought this building and renovated it and made it our church home was what it would do to me being right across the street from the bakery because <laughs> I'm here all the time. And I'm in my late to, mid to late 40s, 40-something, and, uh, and it's not like I'm shy in telling you. I just can't remember. That's what comes when you're mid-40s. I don't know how old I am. But I can't just eat anything anymore. I have to be mindful of what I'm eating. I'm trying to make healthy choices. And my appetite, though, comes as much as I decide I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to do the right thing. 
then the donuts are right there across the street. I used this example in every service today. I swear I saw way more homestead people lined up after church at the bakery. The bakery's like, wow, we're having the, the, the year of Jubilee today or whatever. Everyone's lined up because we're talking about donuts in church. I can decide I'm going to eat healthy, but then I'm like, oh, but those donuts are there, and I know what they taste like, and they smell so good. And, um, and it, so what I do is um, I decided a while ago, I'm like, maybe just Fridays. Fridays will be donut day. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as Friday hits, I'm like a, I'm like a dog who knows it's chow time. I'm just like, wait, it feels like Friday. Because my it's like, it's like I'm programmed. I'm like, why am I salivating more? It's Friday. It's donut day. Yes. This is what an appetite does. As much as we want to eat healthy, our appetites pose that threat to our integrity. Now, here's the deal with appetites. They are typically immediate. They're like, this is what I want now. This is what sounds good now. This is what feels good now. We're not thinking long-term. We're thinking right now. Now, we get this in other areas of life. If you want long-term financial health, you forego maybe buying some things right now, and you think, I'm going to save this money. I'm going to invest this money. I'm going to put this money elsewhere. Now, we think that's good, but then we get these shiny things that we're walking by the mall or the car dealership or advertisements, and we're just like, oh, but that would be awesome. So we can decide, what do we want in the moment, or do we want long-term financial health? Again, makes sense, right? It would be the same with health benefits. If you want to have long-term health, you make decisions now. You exercise. You get off the couch. You drink lots of water. You avoid the bakery across the street except for Fridays. These are the things that us health nuts do, right? This is what... You exercise and you, you know, you're thinking, I know that, you know, donut would taste good now, but I want long-term benefits. You decide to think long-term. Now, our appetites could be food, it could be drink, it could be alcohol, it could be money, it could be any number of things, power, acceptance, recognition, sex, influence, comfort. All of these things are appetites that we have. And all of these things are at times a temptation to forego our integrity, to only think about the moment instead of thinking long-term. Now, those things I just mentioned, I'm going to list them again. And here's what I, as I list these things, the things I just mentioned, think about this. It's not hard for us to think of a time when someone sacrificed their integrity for one of these things, right? Food, alcohol, money, power, sex, influence, recognition, comfort. Of course we know there are so many stories of people who say, you know what, even though I know what I'm supposed to do, this seems and feels really good right now. We've, we've know those stories. There's a story that I want to look at in Genesis. Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. If you have a Bible, you can open there. We'll have the words on the screen if you need those. But this is the story that illustrates this idea so well. It is the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are the sons of Isaac. They are twin brothers and the story picks up in Genesis 25, verse 25, and I'm going to read part of the story right now. And this is talking about the day they were born, these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Verse 25. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I'm going to stop there and just say that's a terrible way to be known in Scripture, right? <laughs> Why'd you have to write that about me? Esau was born first. He was the first to come out. He was red. His skin was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac, the father, was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the boys grew up, 
And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, a man's man, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. We're going to pause there for a minute because there's a lot of stuff in there. So first of all, Esau sees this red stew and he says, hand me some of that red stew. And it says this is why he was also called Edom. His name was changed to Edom or maybe like a nickname. But Edom is really just the Hebrew word for red or red stuff. So it really is like his buddies were like, <laughs> look at Esau. He wants that red stuff. And remember when his, skin, when his skin was red when he was born? We'll call him Edom. We'll call him red stuff. I imagine that's kind of how it started going. This is how his name gets changed to Edom. This will become important to our story in just a minute. But Jacob also says, because Esau wants this stew so bad, Jacob is a little conniving, and he sees an opportunity here. He says, well, if you want this stew, sell me your birthright. Because birthright was a big deal back then. And if you were a twin brother, and just out of luck, your twin brother happened to be born a minute before you, that didn't matter. He had, the older brother had the birthright. He had, which meant a double portion of the inheritance. He had future family leadership. He would be the one in authority as the firstborn. He would have all sorts of rights and privileges, and as I mentioned, a financial gain for being the firstborn. So I imagine Jacob was like, it's totally unfair that I was born one minute behind this guy, guy red hairy guy, and now I'm, you know, second in command. So Jacob takes this opportunity to say, okay, you want this stew, sell me your birthright. Give me your birthright, and I'll give you this stew. This is what is happening right now in this story. This is a significant moment. Not only all of these things, but when you think about the covenant that God made with Abraham before this, where God said, I'm going to be, you're going to be the father of nations, and I'm going to be with your people, and, the, and eventually the Messiah is going to come through your family line, that would typically go through the oldest family line. Now, there's stories in scriptures where it veers from that. But not only the financial gain and the leadership, but the covenant between God and Abraham and then God and Isaac would go through the oldest. It would be Esau. But we don't know God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We know God as the Abra God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of this moment where Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. This is all that's hanging in the balance in this moment. So we're going to pick up the story, verse, 23, or verse 32, sorry. This is right after Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And Esau says this in verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Now, this is total appetite moment, right? This is the kids coming home from school. Mom, I need something to eat or I'm going to die. Esau's not about to die. He's just really hungry and wants food. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and then got up and left. And then these words, so Esau despised his birthright. You see how Esau is not thinking about anything past that moment. He's hungry. 
He has an appetite, and he'll do anything to satisfy that appetite. He's not thinking about what this decision means for himself, certainly not thinking what this decision means for future generations. He's just thinking about this appetite in the moment. And it says he despised his birthright because he was willing to trade it away for something of such little value. Now, we can think we have something that has great value, but ultimately what defines its value? What you're willing to trade it for. If you're willing to sell something for very little, well, then that's the value that you assigned to it. For example, when I was in college in the 1990s, in the past century, yes, I was dating Christy, and I had a, a car that was awesome. Christy did not find it awesome. It was a 1977 Volkswagen Rabbit. It was orange. And I drove around college in this car, and I thought it was awesome. And I had such great value assigned to this car. This thing is worth a lot, I thought. And then one day, uh, be when we were about to get married, Christy hated this car. Also, it was registered in Canada because I'm a Canadian, and getting that whole thing sorted out just seemed like a lot of problem. And, and so I said, well, let's just get rid of the orange Volkswagen Rabbit. I kind of decided to either, it was a decision to either keep the car or marry the girl, and I chose wisely. Um, and so I said, well, let's find someone who will buy this car off of me. But nobody would buy this Volkswagen, this crappy Volkswagen Rabbit off of me. It was orange, and it had holes in the floor. It was awesome. And, uh, and so I said, well, then I just need to find, like, a junk dealer who will take it. i got to get rid of this car. And junk dealers were like, one guy said, if you give me 20 bucks, I'll take this car. I'm like, what? You are mistaken, sir. <laughs> but I, I eventually, a lot of them said, well, you can drop it off here. We're not going to give you any money. And finally, one person, a junk dealer, like, north metro area, said, okay, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. I'm like, like, don't you know how much this is worth? And, but eventually, I gave it to this guy for 50 bucks. So how much was the Volkswagen worth? 50 bucks, because that's what I was willing to trade it for, okay? So that is why Esau despised his birthright, like a Volkswagen rabbit. He was willing to trade it for something of very little value. Now, it's not just a bowl of stew. Like I said, this is the future family line. This is double portion of the inheritance. This is the, the lineage of the Messiah coming through the family line. This is what happened in that moment. It was forfeited for an appetite in the moment. Now, how many stories do we know of people that did not think long term, but they made terrible decisions because of an appetite that seemed so good in the moment said, I'm willing to give up anything for this, not thinking about what it's going to do long term, not thinking about what it's going to do to their family, not thinking this might break up my family. All of these things for a moment of an appetite, this is the power that appetite and temptation has over us. And it is why it is constantly pulling against our integrity, battling against our integrity. We all know people, maybe you're in the room here and don't put up your hand, but maybe you're in the room and you're that person that you said, I made a decision a long time ago that had terrible effects. I wasn't thinking what it would do long term. I just knew in the moment it felt like the right thing or the good thing to do. This could be an affair, a relationship, an addiction that took hold of your life, some sort of other habit that just has wreaked havoc in your life. It's an appetite now that's gotten out of control. That's what this story is about, Jacob and Esau. 
these two guys that made this trade and one guy that didn't value what God had for him, one guy that didn't value his integrity, he traded it all away for a bowl of stew because of an appetite. But here's the bigger thing about this story as we're looking at it. This story is not just about these two guys. This story does not just affect Jacob and Esau. This story affects generations to come because of all the reasons that I've mentioned. The deci uh, this decision right here affected so many generations to come. In fact, the destiny of two entire nations was decided in that moment over a bowl of stew. Two future nations, entire people groups, decided in that moment over a bowl of stew. And here's what I mean by that. Esau, it says there, he became known as Edom, which is the Hebrew word for red stuff. That's how he, his name was changed to Edom. And his people, his descendants, became a nation. The Edomites, the descendants of Edom. So they became their own nation. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find a number of times where the Israelites are battling against the Edomites. They are enemies of Israel. God is defeating the, the Edomites. He is working against the Edomites. This is what became of Esau's decision down the road. Now, Jacob... Jacob had his name changed too. Do you know what Jacob's name was changed to? Israel. Why? Because he became the father of God's people, the Israelites. This is the nation that God used to establish his people, that he provided and protected, the lineage that the Messiah would come through. That was through Jacob. Why not Esau? Because Esau traded away his birthright for a bowl of stew. This affected generations. Nations of people. I imagine uh, a hypothetical situation. Imagine with me hundreds of years after the whole bowl of stew incident. Imagine the Edomites, you know, in their land, a couple of Edomites sitting around the field doing what Edomites do, looking after the Edomite stuff business, looking after red stuff, looking for red stuff. That's what the Edomites do. Now imagine these two Edomites sitting down having a conversation and one, one says to the other, he said, you know what I was thinking about? Why are we called Edomites? Why are we called Edomites? That doesn't make any, doesn't that mean red stuff? Yeah. Why are we called Edomites? And the other guy says, well, the story goes like this. Is that way back in the old days, our ancestor was known as Esau. But then he became Edom because he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. I'd be like, really? Red stew? Yeah, red stew. Oh, but still, like, that seems like a lot to trade for a bowl of stew. Yeah. Who did he trade it to? His brother? Who's his brother? Jacob. Well, what happened to Jacob? Well, story goes. Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and because he had the birthright, that's the lineage that the Messiah is going to come through. And he fathered God's people, the Israelites. You know the group that we always try to battle, but God fights for them instead of us, and we always get defeated? Yeah, that's them. Huh. They'd probably be like, well. Do you think they'd probably look at each other, and, and if they could, they'd go back to Esau and say, hey, maybe not make that trade for a bowl of stew, right? We'll make you some stew. Don't trade away all the ramifications that affected this people group in that moment over an appetite, over hunger, over something that felt so immediate and important that he did not think about integrity and long-term spiritual health, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. Do you think those two Edomites would want Esau to choose differently? 
I want us to think about this story not just in terms of those two guys. I want you to apply that to your life today, saying, the decisions I make to forego my integrity are not just affecting me. They're not just affecting me. The decision I make to forego my integrity could affect my family. It could destroy my family. It could destroy generations where the story of you trading away your integrity for an appetite will be told by generations to come. My grandpa did this and he decided this and that changed the trajectory of our entire family. Don't forfeit it over a bowl of stew for something that seems so important. I mentioned this early on in the sermon how it would be terrible to be known as the guy who was born in red and body like a hairy garment. That's how you're known in Scripture like Esau. Well, it gets worse for Esau because in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews spend, you know, spends a couple of chapters talking about great heroes of the faith and Abraham and David and all these people that did great things of faith. And he talks about Esau. He mentions Esau. The writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews 12, verse 16, it says this. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Ouch. Godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Esau started out being known as red and hairy. Now he is known as godless. Godless. No trace of faith in him because he didn't have enough integrity to do the right thing. He forfeited it over a bowl of stew. This is the power of our decisions. This is the power of your decision to live a life of integrity right now because it doesn't just affect you even though it will be a blessing to you. It affects your legacy, your kids, your grandkids. This is the power of a legacy. You are handed down things from the previous generation that your parents hand down to you, good or bad. That's the power of a legacy. And you have the opportunity to decide right now to live with integrity. So it'll be a blessing to you and your kids and your grandkids and generations to come. We have no idea what God is going to do through decisions for integrity right now. We mentioned that last week in the story of Daniel when he decided at the beginning of his story, I'm going to be resolved to not defile my God. I'm going to live with integrity. It was in the small things. It was about food and drink from the king. He had no idea that God was going to use him in the way that he did. He had no idea that that decision for integrity was going to lead him to the lion's den, lead his friends to the fiery furnace. But look at what God did because he had resolved to live with integrity throughout the little things and the big things. This is what we get to decide to do today. You have no idea what God's going to write into your story. Students, young people, if you're here, you have no idea what God wants to do with your life. But decide now to live with integrity. And there's going to be all sorts of temptations and appetites that come your way to try to steer you away from godly integrity. Decide now. It's not worth it. It's not worth trading over a bowl of stew or another appetite or another temptation that seems so strong. Amen? It's not worth it. Uh, first service today, our early service, it was one of the very few times that uh, Christy and I both had our parents here. My parents are in town for a few days, and Christy's parents were here, and I mentioned this first service. It was a lot cooler first service because they were just sitting over there, but we'll just have to imagine they're over there. Greenlees, you can be my parents today. Um, but we just said, I, I said, our parents are here today, and there's not too long that Christy and I go without recognizing how fortunate we are to have the legacy that we have from our parents and from our grandparents. Just godly parents, godly grandparents, missionaries, pastors. 
adventures of faith. My parents served at a Bible college in Zambia, Africa during the school year, just following the call of God into the mission field, pastoring churches. Christy's parents, you know, pastoring, raising money, just the, the things that we have learned from them, faith and generosity and obedience. And we've learned from our parents. We are blessed. We know not everyone's as fortunate as we are. That's the power of a legacy. And now it's up to Christy and I to hand that down to our kids. And uh, we hope we're doing okay with that. I guess we'll find out. But that's something we want that legacy to continue on. That's the power of integrity. That's the power of making decisions to follow God now because it will affect the generations to come. What better thing to hand down to your kids, right? What better thing than to have your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, sometime 100 years down the road telling the story of you and your faith saying, my grandpa, my grandma decided to live with integrity and look at the blessings that it has come. You could be the, grand, the great-grandparents that someone's talking about one day, saying, boy, look at the benefits of a legacy of integrity and faith, right? This is what I want for you. This is what I want for my life. So as we wrap up in just a few minutes, here's the deal with the bowl of stew. The story is about the bowl of stew. The story is about an appetite that needed to be satisfied at the expense of integrity. I could go through right now and list like 20 things what your bowl of stew might be, metaphorically speaking. It might actually be stew. It, you might have a really strong desire to eat stew, but probably it's something else, okay? I could guess, and if we got 50 people in the room right now, there's probably 50 different things that are the thing that trips you up, right? And I'm not need to list it because here's the deal. You know what it is. You know what it is in your life. I know what it is in my life, that appetite that comes in, the thing that tries to pull you away from integrity. Could be any number of things, but you know what it is. And the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart. You knew as soon as I started talking about integrity, you knew what it was in your life. It was funny, at men's, men's group last Monday, a couple of guys came up and be like, oh, why do you got to talk about integrity? And I'm like, I know, imagine being the one who has to write it, because it's all the times you're like, oh, Holy Spirit's kind of tugging on my heart here, and convicted me here. We all know those moments. We know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, the people close to you know what it is. Because these appetites that you are forfeiting your integrity for are having effects on more than just you. It's affecting your family. It's affecting future generations. It's affecting those around you. So as we close today, I've got a couple of groups I want to talk about. Three different groups of people. The first group is this. For some of you here, you might be in this group, and you're just now developing an appetite for something that seems small now, and you have no idea that it's going to take root and become a controlling thing in your life. It could be anything, internet, pornography, alcohol, drugs, something financial, whatever it is, people-pleasing, or any, any, ac any appetite that causes you to be willing to forfeit your integrity over and you're just kind of dabbling in it right now. You're just developing an appetite for it right now. As Daniel did, as we talked about last week, at the start of his story, he said, I am resolved. I've decided to live with integrity. I want to encourage you. If you're in that group right now, decide right now. Before it takes grip of your heart and causes you to maybe make decisions that have devastating effects, address it right now. Address it right now. Bring it to God right now. God, I don't want this to take root in my life. I don't want this to become an appetite that feels all-consuming that I would be willing to trade anything for. So that's the first group. You're just kind of starting out. Second group is this. You're there. You're at the point where you are willing to trade your future for a bowl of stew right now. 
whatever that appetite is. You have a relationship, a decision to have an affair or to give in to an addiction or a chemical or something else. You're there. You're right at the point where you're like, the temptation is strong. It's taken root in my life. It's about to take hold of my life. Some of you are ready to throw away family legacy because of an addiction that you can't resist, because of a relationship that just feels so good and so right and so important, because of an appetite that demands satisfaction right now at the expense of your integrity. Don't do it. Be like the Edomites in the field who would say, why would he trade his birthright for a bowl of stew? Don't trade your lives of integrity over something that's just going to be gone and insignificant. What will we be left with? What will your kids be left with? I have friends that have been friends for years, and a bad decision led to an affair, which led to a marriage and a family falling apart. And now there's kids that don't have relationships with certain parents and complicated family dynamics and people that won't speak to each other. And now we can't go to certain churches because they're going to be, I mean, all these things over a moment decision that just had devastating effects. So if you're in that second group and you're right there, don't trade it away. Bring some accountability and bring it to the light. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to somebody else. Say, I don't want this to tear my family apart. And finally, the third group. You might be in this group and you're saying, well, I would have loved to have heard this message a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, but it's too late for me. I already traded it away. I already traded my integrity away for something that I felt like I needed right then, and it's too late for me. And now you're just trying to put things back together. And the enemy, your spiritual enemy, is going to be lying to your ear right now saying it's too late. See, you blew it. God's got no plan for you. You forfeited your integrity. God's going to use somebody else. Here is the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel. If you're in that group, there's mercy. There is mercy. There's forgiveness. There's a new start. Now, there might be ramifications of your decision. There might be consequences of your decision. You might not be able to put a family back together or make things right. There might be some things that you have to deal with, but here's the deal. As far as your spiritual birthright with your heavenly Father, that can be restored. There is mercy in Jesus Christ because he died and rose for you. He paid the price for all your sins, all your mistakes, those times when you traded it away, so that now when God the Father looks at you, if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, he looks and says, righteous, forgiven, son and daughter, spiritual heir, birthright intact. So there's mercy there. So if that's you and you're hearing the lies of the enemy, shame and condemnation for past mistakes that you've made, there is a new start. Step into mercy and say, I'm going to decide now to live with integrity, and I'm not going to be swayed by that. So let's do this. Whatever group you're in, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray just for a couple of minutes as we close up. And first of all, if you are here and you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to receive his salvation, and you want to do that, all it is is just accepting that Jesus died for you accepting that you need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. That because he died and rose, that that paid the price for your sin in God's eyes so that when God looks at you, you would be forgiven, brand new, sinless. So if you want to do that, just receive it today. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I need a Savior and I receive you. I believe that you died and rose so that I could be forgiven and now I decide to live for you. If you would do that and if you would just say that in your heart, 
You're a Christian. You are a Christ follower. You are made new. So today could be the day where your entire eternity changes, your life changes, if you just make that decision today. And I want to pray for all the groups that I mentioned, those who are developing an appetite for sin that pulls them away from their integrity, those who are on the verge of making terrible choices, or those who feel like it's too late. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. Whatever that area is, whatever our bowl of stew is, that you would speak to our hearts. And right now, we bring it to the light. We don't want to hide it. We don't want to think we're doing okay because no one else knows about it. Our integrity is no matter what the cost and no matter what the audience. And so, God, we bring it to the light. We confess it to you. We confess our sin to you. We ask that you would bring forgiveness and healing and restore what is broken. And I pray for families that are broken. I pray for people who are struggling with addiction, that you would begin to bring victory, that we would put safeguards in place, that we would get accountability in place, that we would get help if we have a chemical addiction, we would make the call. Whatever it is, God, that's pulling us away from our integrity and our walk with you, we confess it. We ask that you would bring forgiveness and healing, and now we decide today we are going to live differently. We are going to live with integrity. We praise you and we thank you for these things today. God, do a great work in our heart. We want to live lives of integrity that not just affect us, not just affect those around us, but affect